we are talking about a comic book which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 88 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am Luke, and I am here today with Ann Bean. Hello. And Joel Simon. Hey! Andy's off in Vegas doing Valentine's Day stuff, but uh, none of us give a fuck about Valentine's Day, apparently, so we're here talking to you guys. Uh, This episode, we are going to be talking about uh, The Wicked and the Divine, which is a um, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey uh, image comic book about... Uh, gods returning to Earth and doing crazy shit, and it's awesome, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, but to start, I, I think we do have a few things. Like, uh, do, do either of you have any comics you've been reading lately other than Wicked and Divine that you want to talk about? Because uh, we can go into that a little bit first. Um, I've been catching up on things like Sex Criminals, which issue 10 just dropped last mm-hmm. week. And I have stuff that I've bought and not read, which is always a thing. Um, I just learned about a comic called Princess Ugg, which I've ordered a trade of, um, which is, it's a comic for, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's about a barbarian princess that goes to sort of like magical princess finishing school style of thing and just fits in really poorly because she wants to do barbarian princess things and everyone else is sort of like Disney princess twinkly wee. Uh, so I'm excited to, to read that, but that hasn't come into my shop yet. I have heard, I've heard about that book. I don't know anything about it other than what you just described i will so report like, back <laughs> yeah. once i read it that's my problem now is that i'm in that having bought a bunch of stuff and not read it well you're I've doing got... your big shelf read of doom <laughs> how's that going for you uh, i'm still on captain america I'm st- because it's luckily now i've only got about two issues left and in this particular omnibus it it ends with the issue where he gets shot um mm. and quote-unquote killed and so you haven't even got to the bouncing through time. No, and I'm not going to either. Because the second the second the second Brubaker omnibus is the quote unquote death of Captain America omnibus. Mm. And then the third one is the the last like three or four years of his run. And uh I am so put off of Marvel main Marvel books by this omnibus alone that I have no interest in what? reading. It's it's completely <clears throat> incoherent. Oh yeah. Like it there's no there is no connecting story thread, especially once you get into the Civil War stuff, which I talked about last show a little bit that I had just started reading the Civil War books and they were fucking awful. And they get worse because they're completely unconnected, right? Like yeah. you're trying to read, I'm trying to read Captain America. I'm not trying to read a giant Marvel event. I'm trying to read fucking Captain America. And I can't because there's no storyline. I feel yeah. like that is Marvel's greatest failing of the last decade or so. And also, you know, forever. But as you would think they would fix it. Uh, is is trying to run events instead of stories. Even so, and I need to catch up on Storm because I've only read a couple of issues. But even within Storm, brand spanking new title, they almost immediately do an issue that's <sighs> Death of Wolverine. Like, <laughs> no, stop. We're talking about Storm. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But remember, Wolverine was <laughs> new Storm, so they're all connected, right? <laughs> I, you know, I think I think it's one of those things where it's like a. <clears throat> Uh, they had, were so successful with Civil War that they 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 kind of have to do that all the time, and they they're trying to meet yeah, the same because, success because with Civil War. Weren't Civil War and House of M like were real close to each other? Yeah. And both of those, like, because they they had done events before. Clearly, crossovers were a thing way back in the first Secret Wars and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But yeah, I feel like because. Um, you know, I came back to comics uh, in the mid '90s after about a four-year gap um, from after, like after I graduated high school uh, in '90. I guess it would have been the late '90s, but um, uh, and I came back because of the Ultimate books, and then my collection burned up in a fire. And then when I came back again, 
would have been the early 2000s, and that would have been right about the... It was about maybe a year before Civil War and House of M happened. Okay. And I remember walking into a comic shop and having House of M just in my face all the time off every book and everything, just like, blah, blah. And it didn't cross over as much into the Avengers story titles. It did a little bit, but, I mean, it was mutant-specific, so it was mostly the X books. Mm -hmm. But still, it was like... Between Civil War and House of M, there was a period of about a year and a half or two years where you couldn't read a book that wasn't part of a crossover. Yeah. That seems really intimidating for anyone who's like getting into the Marvel Universe. And I understand like why people that watch the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and love it don't necessarily cross over into the comics Mm -hmm. because it's not easy to figure out where you should even start reading. And and with the movies I mean, even as it stands right now, if you start back with like the first Iron Man to the current, you know, Marvel movies, yeah. all told, you're still only talking about ten movies, yep. something like that, or eleven movies. So it's like um, you're that is exactly what happened to me. And like I came back and I started, I started back with um, when I had first come back I had been reading the ultimate uh, ultimate X-Men and ultimate Spider-Man so I came back to comics and I was reading those again yeah. right and got into like ultimate fantastic four and the ultimate universe was great for me because it was separate I didn't have to fuck with the crossovers I didn't have to worry about it when I started reading Marvel comics it was in the ultimate mm-hmm. universe but that Civil War House of M era where everything was a crossover and I couldn't seem to find a book that I could just get into <laughs> I that is actually what drove me to back to Image. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where I because that's when I started getting into uh, Invincible yeah, and that's when Walking Im- Dead. Image was heating up at that point. Yeah, so good timing. So like I, I that was the first time I'd gotten into those comics and gotten myself like. Uh, I was a huge Marvel and DC kid. Right. Yeah. And I got into image like very, very beginning when they very first started. I got into them like everybody else did in the mid 90s because of the because of guys like McFarlane and Jim Lee. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I came back to him and I'm like, wow, this is this is not the same company that I liked when I was a teenager. Like it's it's the, the books are very different there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more variety. And that's what I, that's what, you know, I've stuck with them and I've been happy to do so. I uh, think the way that they've rebranded themselves is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, they're, the, in my opinion, they're telling the best stories in comics right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have other favorites that I feel sure. like are smaller. Like I think Boom Studios is doing amazing stuff. Oh, absolutely. Right now. Uh, Oni is as well. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, The Six Gun is still my favorite comic and mm-hmm. it's an Oni book. But, yep. um, but that book could have very easily been an image book anyway because it's a creator owned thing, right? It's not a. Right. Um, and it, you know, if things had panned out differently back when Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt were pitching that book, they might have ended up with Image, right? True so, story. like, um, I, tell me y'all's take on this. If I if I had to, you know, pick big two and a little two, Marvel and DC obviously are the big two, but little two to me is Image and Dark Horse because I feel like they're the next largest things. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I think Dark yeah. Horse and Boom Studios are kind of competing with each other now. I think like, so. Image is clearly number three. Yes, and then. <laughs> Because I've, I actually hear a lot of people refer to the big three now, uh, <laughs> which I kind of disagree with because Image yeah, still only not. has ten percent of the market share, yeah. which is which is fascinating to me because they've got such a huge presence at comic shops, right? right? You walk in and Image is fucking everywhere, um, but they still only have ten percent of the market share. I wonder how much of that is comics and how much of that is merch. Yeah, it's true. So what about Vertigo? See, I think in the nineties they were. Yeah, a little. It's because isn't Vertigo owned kind of by DC? Yeah, Vertigo's yes. owned by DC, and Icon is owned by Marvel. Okay, so they're not really indie as much, yeah. and and that 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 shows most uh, acutely in things like when the New Fifty Two happened and they incorporated Constantine into the main DC universe. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's no there's not really a hell of a lot of separation because Constantine um, was Vertigo. Yeah, because. Um, I mean, the weird thing about Vertigo is like, yeah, they still do occasionally good things. Um, they've always had a tentpole title over the course of their life. Like, mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, they, you know, they had Preacher at one point. Yeah. They had 100 Bullets at one point. They had um, uh, Constantine. Hellblazer. Hellblazer. Yeah, Hellblazer, sorry. Um, and then... 
you know, recently their temple titles were The Unwritten Fables. and Fables. And now both of those are ending. So who knows where they're going to go next? I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious too because I know that at least it feels to me, and I think Andy and I have had this discussion a couple of times, where it feels to me like Unwritten and um, Fables were supposed to end earlier than they did. Uh, um, yeah. Un- unwritten completely jumped the shark. Like they, like it, I was 50 some, or 51 issues into it when I dumped it because they had ruined the storyline. Um, and uh, Fables, uh, as Andy tells it, I haven't gotten that far in the series, but Andy said that at issue 100, they, they wrap up the adversary storyline. Yeah. And then kind of just go, huh? After that, he because... advised me to read the first ten trades and stop, and I did. And there's some other stuff that I might look at, but at the same time, I I feel like I've had the experience of like watching the first eight seasons of X Files or something, where it's like right. it's, oh, it's all going downhill from here. Yeah, and that's I mean, it's a, yeah, it's um, I will likely buy the whole thing because I'm buying it in the hardcovers, and I'll likely buy the whole thing in hardcovers and then read it all, but. Um, I do want to read the um, Ferrist yeah. side story yeah. they did with um, the female characters as spies, basically. Um, but but yeah, it's uh, the big two. I, I mean, we ra- I rag on this all the time. I rag on the big two for being um, like unapproachable. And now it's happening again because DC's rebooting. Yeah, the whole again yeah. they're re-rebooting their whole universe three years after they. Yeah, know, and there was a really good article. Did. I think it was um, uh, on Kotaku about about DC and how a really good article on Kotaku. You don't no, hear that phrase very I, often. Well, yes, it was <laughs> Evan Narcisse, and he was going over how DC is um, how their editorial staff really isn't. Um, know where they want to go with yeah. with DC, right? And so whenever things get a little bit hairy because their original books go off and they the ability to tie all those books together with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, so their one cohesive universe gets a little troublesome and then they just hit the reboot button. Yeah, I've, go ahead. I, I want to write a really literary short story that is basically about Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman living in this sort of like meta existence where they realize they're being rebooted like every three years <laughs> and don't know why their lives are changing and are really horrified. I feel like Edge the... Edge of DC. Edge of DC. <laughs> I feel like the uh, the DC editorial staff is wildly afraid of letting creators control the direction of their universe. Yeah. I would agree. They're, oh, yeah. They're... Um, they're so intent on reining in their control and keeping an iron-fisted uh, handle on how everything ties together. And and frankly, a single editorial staff trying to wrangle 50-something separate storylines in books over the course of multiple years mm-hmm. is absurd. Like, it's been done. Like, they yeah. do it at Marvel and DC all the mm-hmm. time. But it's still just like, you know, you at some point... Is at some point you just have to tell creators, okay, try and keep your continuity decent, write a good story, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I think it's it's one of those things where whenever their writers get a little too spicy and things get good, it's like, no, let's bring it back into milk toast territory where everybody uh, can, can enjoy this. That definitely feels like what happened with um, like uh, Grant Morrison and his Batman run. Yeah. Because his his Batman and Robin run was... IMO, the best thing that had happened to Batman in fucking a decade. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that they set Bruce Wayne aside for a little while and had Dick Grayson and Damien working together okay. was like fucking fantastic. And then Batman Inc. was really, really good. Hmm. And then they're like, no, we're rebooting the whole universe and you don't get to finish your storyline uh, wow. in the regular new 50 or in the regular universe. So you're going to have to try and wrangle. Batman Inc. into New 52 and see what you can do with it. And it's just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Did they keep it as the title, Batman Inc.? Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah. And it, it's, I don't know, it's just like, in the wild attempts to keep things approachable, they forget that the most approachable thing is just telling a good story. Yeah. Like, make a good character, tell a good story, sell some comic books. And especially DC, which has like these super archetypal characters that are uh, really easy to make good. Yeah. 
and they're yeah. but they're also really easy to make bad for the same reason. <laughs> and, and so one of one of the things that this article was talking about was it first started with Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. right? Where that was one way where we could start to bring is like, oh, we have these multiple universes, and then we can just all bring them back to one, and that was kind of revert um, a reboot. Mm-hmm. And it seemed it seems that when that reboot let Pandora's box open like mm-hmm. oh hey this yeah. is an option and so now that we have the nuclear option that we can just hit reboot it's starting to cycle more and more like hey okay 10 years let's reboot oh uh, okay 5 years let's reboot yeah well and i feel like that's also the point like the the early to mid 80s was also the point where they discovered the retcon mm-hmm. where it used to be it used to be they just didn't kill characters off, mm-hmm. right? Because and and that was a that was a problematic in and of itself. Because yeah. then you'd have a character running for ten or twelve or fifteen years and never aging and never changing, and you know you'd have a character like Robin, who's you know it's one thing to have a have a Batman character that's already in his early forties and right. just doesn't change, and it's kind you kind you kind of let it go. But when you have a character that's like thirteen or fourteen and never changes and never goes through any you know, it growth, feels like The Simpsons. Yeah, you know, everything's reset at the end of every issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, f- I feel like that crisis on infinite earths and the, and the, um, uh, um, what was secret wars and the stuff that happened in the eighties with comics, they were, that's when they were like, Oh, you mean we could just bring back dead characters? Mm. Oh, fuck oh, it. Okay. We don't even need to, we can just, you know, do whatever we want and not have to worry about, uh, Consequences. And some episode of Rachel and Miles explain the X Men, where they they talk about the introduction of the retcon into the X universe and mm-hmm. and how that opened and how it was connected with the multiverse events and sort of opened the door to yeah. sadness. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. that's and that's the thing that fascinates me about this particular DC reboot is it's it's like it's almost so many people thought the New Fifty Two was just a huge mistake, right? Yeah. And some good things came out of it, like the the Snyder Capullo Batman book is a really good. Um, Wonder Woman was good right up until Azarello and and Aiken or um, Chang left. Mm. Um, Dial H was great. Yeah, there's there have been some good books, but there is nothing that they've done in the New Fifty Two that couldn't have been done in the standard DC universe, yeah. with the exception of renumbering everything. Yeah, and it it wouldn't be. I mean, that'll make things less confusing. Yeah, they've renumbered Batman so many times. It's it's such a stupid thing because I Mm. I understand the concept that you know you put a number on an issue and it turns people off. People are going to look at that and be like five hundred. I don't want to fucking read a five hundred. So some of the new titles. I'm looking at the list of some of the new titles. So they're having a Black Canary title. Which is okay. good. That's nice. They're doing uh, Cyborg as himself. He's actually getting his own wow. run. Actually, yeah. after we read that one, that one shot, I, like a Black Canary is a ton of book would actually be kind of fun. Yeah, I, like right? an ongoing. That one's oh, Black Canary is by Brendan Fletcher and Annie Wu. Um, they're doing Harley Quinn Power Girl. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, with it's so with the, those two killing mm, each other. I know, right? Not each other. Power so, Girl would just pop Harley Quinn's head and call it good. Is that the new Power Girl? I I'm not the sure. New that would be black non boob window power girl. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. It might be. They're doing a Starfire a Starfire book. There's another Is one. Is it the stupid version of Starfire? It will be. You yeah. know it will be. Yeah. The like it, sociopathic Instead of the red shoe diaries, it'll be the red hair diaries, I, I guess. Uh. I don't know. Um We Are Robin. There's some other ones. Robin, son of Batman. Red Hood and Arsenal. Have they ever done a Robin book where, or a book that involved Robin where there's some kind of commentary on that thing where he's like a very sort of infantilized like teenager for a very uh, long I, time? I, that I don't know. Like, is he 35 and still dressing up in the short shorts <laughs> and like uh, being subservient <laughs> to Batman? Because that could be kind of hot. That's why he called him Nightwing. He's like, I can't wear these shorts anymore. <laughs> but it, it seems like they're trying to shake things up. I mean, they have. They well, have, of course, they're trying to shake things th- up. They're, but they're still going to cancel shit yeah. six months into its run anyway. Uh, like they do, do the same thing they did with the new fifty two all over seeing again. What sticks to the wall and whatnot. Uh-huh. And what it feels okay. like to me, it feels like, and this will never happen because they have profit margins to maintain, which is weird. Because I think so. I'm 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 talking over myself. Um, <laughs> you have interrupted yourself. I feel, well I done. Out of your own way. Come it on. seems to me like they could. 
um, like what needs to happen, at least with DC and possibly with Marvel, is for them to severely cut back on the sheer volume of different books they're producing. There doesn't need to be 50 DC books a month. You know, Mm. drop it to 15 or 20 tops. Focus those stories. The problem with that, and it's and this is where I was talking over myself, is on the one hand you think to yourself, well, they can't do that because they have a certain amount of profit they have to maintain and they have to produce a bunch of shit in order to make money. When in actuality, you'd think that if they cut back to 15 titles, they would sell more of the individual books. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but then the other part of on the opposite side of that coin, you'd think, well, now that they're owned by Warner Brothers and that Marvel is owned by Disney, they have a huge corporate backing that would allow them to take that risk for a year or two. You think. You know, where they, w- they, could, they could afford to just be like, you know what? We're going to settle this down a little bit. Let's, let's drop it to, especially Marvel with the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. They could literally pull it back to like, um, you know, X-Men Fantastic Four, Avengers, and then individual books for like Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the stuff, focus on the characters that the MCU has Although is some pushing. of the coolest MCU books right now are things, or Marvel books right now are things that are not connected to the MCU. Not connected yet. Mm. I mean, so, but yeah, it's, it just feels like they need to have, scale their shit back a little bit. I have bit to bring and, this up now. Now, this is going to, this is going to... Uh, lead you to an existential crisis, Luke, because... An existential crisis, crisis on, on infinite, infinite Earths. Earth. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> In unison, too. Um, Colin Bunn is writing four books. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's Sinestro, Lobo. He's also... What was the other one? I am disappointed in him Aquaman. for writing Lobo. Would you, would you read an Aquaman? No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I don't like, care. No. Well, no, here's the thing. I like Cullen Bunn's work. Mm-hmm. I have not liked Cullen Bunn's big two work. No. Um, I really love Sixth Gun. I really, really like Helheim. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking into his new book hellbreak which is supposed to be an ongoing which uh empty man was cool i only read a couple of issues but i have it i haven't read it yet but um but the the big two stuff i've read of his is not bad by any means but like i read was it dead deadpool kills deadpool or deadpool kills the marvel (laughs) universe it was like one of the deadpool kills books which or deadpool illustrated that's what it was and then um (laughs) he did a venom book which was it was okay. Mm. Uh, the first non-Sixth Gun Cullen Bunn book that I read was he did a run, in, uh, I think it was an eight-issue run on Superman Batman. That or a four, No, it was a four-issue run on Superman Batman that was, eh, it was mm. okay. It was a, it was a strange storyline because it was one of those things where they, they dumped the characters into an alternate reality and then basically get all this crazy shit happens to a bunch of characters and then they come back to the normal reality and retcon everything that happened in the alternate universe. So it was like, it was like a cool storyline that has absolutely zero ongoing Mm. effects to the, to the Mm. universe, which is yet another thing that I fucking hate about. I love books. That's one of the reasons why I love invincible so much because invincible has been running for 10 years now or 11 years. Mm. And there hasn't been a single retcon like true retcon yet and they like very much like the walking dead when something fucking happens it has long lasting ongoing effects to the universe and it's it it's fun because of that anyway uh before we have to wrap up this first segment i did want to talk a little bit about between last show and this show um the the big you know blow up the comic book internet thing happened that Sony and and uh, Marvel have come to a deal that allows Marvel to use Spider-Man in the MCU. Oh my god, um, Spider-Man! It, it appears that w- the way the deal is going to work is that Marvel is going to um, Sony is going to finance and produce Spider-Man related properties. Ah. Marvel is going to have. Uh, is going to be able to create do some creative work on on straight Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Sony will have final veto or final creative control, but um, it also allows Marvel to use Spider-Man in their own movies. So, like, if they want to put yep. him in Civil War, which is, I guarantee that he's going to fucking oh, yeah. appear first That's in Civil War. the whole reason why they did um, it, I feel. 
Well, and that's and oh, say okay. So I brought something up on Facebook that I thought would be the perfect way to yes. introduce the universe. Um, they've talked about how uh, Andrew Garfield is no longer going to play Spider Man, which, despite the Amazing Spider Man two being a terrible movie, I- I'm kind of disappointed because I thought Andrew Garfield was a really good Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking that one of the things they could do is um, bring Andrew Garfield back, have him play Peter Parker in in Civil War. And one of the the big the big point of Spider Man in Civil War was that I, was that Tony Stark convinced him to reveal his identity publicly and then register for the you know in the the Superhuman Registration Act, um, and in the Ultimate Universe, Ultimate Peter Parker uh, gets assassinated. And I was kind of thinking what would be cool plot line would be Peter Parker, Tony Stark convinces Peter Parker to reveal his identity as part of the Registration Act registers and then a supervillain of some sort uh, because of knowing his identity assassinates him while he's in his mundane life like peter parker assassinates peter parker which leads to tony stark realizing that he's on the wrong side of the registration argument Mm -hmm. and gives us a a way to introduce Miles Morales. I would mm. love to see Miles Morales in the MCU. Yes, absolutely. I mean, everybody would, right? Like yep. everybody who's a fan of the comics is like, I'm gonna see Miles Morales. I mean, we've had we've had plenty of Peter Parker movies. Uh-huh. All right, uh-huh. we've we've had <laughs> we've five had in the last eleven years. Yeah. Um, and besides, the the half of the internet is blowing up about. <laughs> <laughs> basically not not that this would necessarily happen but everyone's cast donald glover yeah <laughs> well i've heard that what they i've He's heard the that, one that started it i've yeah. heard that they actually want a high school age um, oh yeah, yeah. peter okay. parker or miles morales a high school age spider-man is what they're saying because i think uh, marvel is being very careful to not say who they're going with <laughs> I, uh, I, I i just go with the standard uh comic book black guy idris elba just, just <laughs> hey, he's seventeen. Yeah, guys. yeah. <laughs> right. He could play it. Yeah, but he's so sexy. Um, <sighs> well, if I mean, if we're going there, you should just be played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, oh, God damn it! Uh, In blackface. Yeah. Uh. Um, the thing, the thing to me, like, uh, we got a couple of responses on Facebook that were very like negative toward. Uh, basically, that'll never happen. And it's like y- you're. You know, in some ways, I guess you're right. It might, it probably won't happen. We probably won't see Miles Morales, at least not right off the bat. But that's what we want to happen, right? Yes. Like, we've got <laughs> enough Peter Parker in our lives that we could see a different Spider Man. And the, the, the one argument that I disagree with is somebody's like, well, the public only knows Peter Parker, so that's the only storyline that they can go with because Dude, it's what, and that's. The public didn't know who the hell Rocket Raccoon was. Thank you. <laughs> I was about to say, like, they don't know who the fuck Star-Lord is. Yeah. Like, so when I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy got announced, thinking to myself, fucking Guardians of the Galaxy? Really? Mm. Like, who's going to watch that? And I thought, it, I thought it was going to be, you know, my... I, you can go back on the show and listen to me. I thought the first... I thought that was a terrible idea for a movie. I, I was not excited at all. I saw the first ad, and it was I was cautiously optimistic, and then they fucking pulled it off. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's a fun sci-fi movie, but... It's a bunch of characters that nobody fucking knows. Yep. No. And as you could do anything you want as long as you write it well. Yep. Right? That's and the thing. It's yeah. Nobody uh, knows, frankly, to be fair, in the greater scheme of the the mainstream Marvel movies, nobody knows who the fuck Carol Danvers is either. Right. But they're going to make a, a Captain Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? So there's zero reason now why they couldn't use Miles Morales. So I I think it would be cool to see him introduced. Um, And I think it would actually be kind of interestingly meta for them to bring Peter Parker in and have him be assassinated because he very much like Superman and Batman, Peter Parker is kind of just in the general zeitgeist people know who peter mm-hmm. parker is even if they don't specifically have an origin story movie for him right yeah. uh hi everybody we're talking about the wicked and the divine uh it is a an image comic book uh written by kieran gillen of of x-men fame and drawn by Jamie McKelvey of Wicked and Divine Fane. I don't know McKelvey's other stuff. I think McKelvey did honest. some covers for Marvel. Okay. I want to say some of the 
more exciting. Yeah, I mean, he has this very like clean lines. Yeah, style that. Um, things. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing series. Uh, it's been running for I think it's on issue nine now, uh, something like that, nine or ten. Uh, I think nine. And uh, it is about a group of gods called the Pantheon. And the mythology in the book is that every 90 years, uh, a, a being called Ananki, is that how mm-hmm. you would pronounce it? Ananki, um, effectively resurrects 12 gods from different pantheons and uh, they take over human bodies of various ages. They live for two years uh, with the ability to, uh, and, and basically push their influence onto um onto just tap over here to change pages um (laughs) (laughs) technology is hard uh they live for two years they directly influence humanity in some way shape or form within that two years and then they die they die body and soul they are destined Um, to die they don't um so the the story takes place is um it starts by showing the death of the last round of the pantheon back in the 20s and then it takes place now in modern day in 2014 uh and i i feel like it's relatively new into the into the run of this particular gods yes. like within months yes um and most of them have taken the the guise of of pop idols of some this of some seems part. to be like sort of their shtick is in some way they're they're uh, they always seem to um res as young people um everywhere from a child to a you know some a teenager someone in their early 20s so they seem to sort of like leech off of or use youth culture mm-hmm. um as which a would make sense because that's they're they are most prone to worship right Years. i mean <laughs> like you'd think that if, if if the if the timing had been right so instead of them showing up in the 20s and the 40s you'd think that they'd, they'd probably end up with most of them in the beatles in the 60s oh, yeah. if they if they had come back at that time um why don't you talk about it you're the one that suggested it for the show so, so you go right ahead i am a huge mythology nerd and therefore this book is right down my alley um the part of what's delightful for me about it, and I realize not everyone will f- have this particular joy in this book, is seeing how each god shows up. They have a delightfully global pantheon. I think the only um, culture that's like represented more than once is Japan. Um, and each each issue features the portrait of one of the deities or the the first issue has the, the main character who's dressed up as one of the deities but mm-hmm. um, the main character um, I need to pull her name because I can remember the names of gods but not humans yeah, apparently. Yeah, I can't remember names of anybody um, ever. But she, we were introduced to her as, and she's just a teenager that lives in London. She's a huge fangirl of Amaterasu and also Lucifer who is one of... Laura? Laura, thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, who is one of the one of the pantheon um and she's doing the like groupy thing in terms of following these gods around mm-hmm. and like d- trying to trying to get it, get on their good side and get in with them and she ends up being incredibly successful and bizarre and complicated ways the first story arc revolves around um Lucifer who is sort of a dapper woman in an all-white suit, um, who's sort of like... I'm trying to think of the correct combination of pop stars, and I'll get there eventually, but... um, Female Bowie? Kind of. It's like one part Bowie, one part Annie Lennox, one part... For Lucifer? One part like... um, What's his face? Uh, Billy Idol a little bit? They do make a comment in the book calling her like Bowie. Yeah. They, they make a Bowie comment about her. I feel so. like each each god or goddess is actually more or less directly modeled off of some pop star of the last sure. mm-hmm. 30 years, which is, you know, Easter eggs, I suppose. Um, and also just thinking about Kanye West as Bale is so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. Um, Wait, I- I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> so... 
<laughs> they need to respect well artistry. Well done. Uh, well done. Um, basically, the the first plot line is about Lucifer being framed for murder, mm-hmm. um, and Laura is involved with that in terms of being like the only witness and blah blah blah. So, um, which I really I really like because like um, at the beginning of the book. We're we're kind of introduced to um, I I am not going to remember the names. I, oh, I've got a list. Sweet. Uh, she goes to a concert for Amaterasu, um, and is a huge fan and wants to be her basically, mm-hmm. and gets pulled aside by Lucifer. And in the process of this kind of uh, back behind the scenes backstage meeting, um, they are attacked and uh, they are attacked by snipers. And Lucifer, you know, you, you they make this kind of point that the gods try not to have a direct, like, physical influence on the world. They just use their kind of influential powers to make people worship them and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it evoke change. And the, the point is that Lucifer ends up actually saving everyone's life by killing the, the two would-be assassins. Um, she, you know, steps up to a broken window and snaps her fingers and their heads explode. And we've seen some sort of finger-snapping thing is, like, definitely a thing. In the very first scene in the 20s, it yeah. ends with, like, there's some sort of dire meeting of, apparently, the four remaining Pantheon plus Ananke. Um it ends with them snapping their fingers and the building explodes. So, like, something's going on. It's like the end of their two years, I would... You know, that's yeah, the yeah, way... Yeah. I, it's the end of their two years, and that's their, you know, their final moment. What what interests me about that scene, and what I'm hoping they comment on later, is that if you look in that the scene where they're all sitting around the table, right, they all have the skulls of the, the previously yes. gods. One of them is cloven in two. The skull, <laughs> the skull is actually, like, lopped off like half of it is lopped off and i'm like oh man i really want to know the story of that if you look at yeah. the scene like around the table this one right yeah here. that's like shorn um, off at an angle like katana style yeah um anyway that's that's a total tangent but that's just like i'm that's kind interesting. of interesting i'm kind of what um like right off the bat the most interesting thing about the the premise of this book to me is that it would be super super easy to just um, have a twelve or twenty-four issue run uh, centering around you know one particular incarnation of these yeah. gods, and then just keep it going by doing other incarnations. That's true. You know, like okay, now we're gonna go back into what would it be the like the eighteen thirties and could be show really what's like, or mm-hmm. go forward. We're gonna go into you know twenty-two hundred mm-hmm. and and show you know that have a sci-fi book where the same thing happens, right. and it would be like. And it would be different gods each time, clearly, because um, one of the things that they haven't explained. Do you think so? I I do because they kind of make a comment about how I don't think it's always the same gods. I no. think so. I think in hmm. sometimes sometimes it is, but um, I got the impression that Ananki doesn't always bring back the same twelve. Interesting. No. Um, you know. Okay. Here's evidence for that. So so one of the like. delicious things about this book uh, is the sense of design in general but specifically there there are a lot of these pages that have um, a circle of icons Mm -hmm. um, that are to represent the gods so there's as as we meet them in the modern day we get more and more of the icons filled in and it's you know stuff like an owl for Athena and a ram's head for Baal and an upside down pentacle for Lucifer Mm -hmm. stuff like that um but I'm looking back at the, which I haven't looked at in a long time, the very first page that introduces the um, 20s folk, and they're all different icons. Yeah, and there's skulls for the ones that are dead right. already. Yeah. So I see. I think, yeah. I think you may be right. Well, and yeah. the other thing, uh, you know, speaking to that, you know, the, the kind of neat pages with the circles and, the, and the, co- the way the covers and everything, this is the first time I've ever seen a comic book that credits the designer. Um, nice. So if you look, it's, it's Kieran Gillen as writer, Jamie McKelvey as artist, Matthew Wilson's the colorist, Clayton Cowles is the literal letterer, and then it, they they credit Hannah Donovan as the the book's designer, which um, for f- I, you don't see comic books that have an ex- like uh, I'm mincing my, or fucking up my words, but an excessive amount of design to them, mm. unless it's a um, a Jonathan Hickman book, yeah. which <laughs> that's he, who I was going to say, and and and. and in those cases, it, you know that it's Jonathan Hickman because right. he's a designer and he puts that work into his book. Mm-hmm. It's I don't think I've ever seen a book before where they credit a a separate designer who is. Um, um, 
I'm not sure, but I feel like Bitch Planet has yeah. a designer attached to it, which totally makes sense given it's extremely strong aesthetic. Right. Um, I can't remember if that's the same as one of the people in the art team or not, but yeah. Let's find out. I've All got right. Bitch Planet in digital form right here. You keep talking and I'll look this up. Um, <laughs> Cowles is the uh, the letterer of, of Bitch Planet as okay, well. Look at that. <laughs> one of the creators of, of Wicked and Vine was like, God, we have to remind people every freaking release that is not written by mm. Gillen McKelvey and Wilson Cowles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lauren McCubbin is listed as the back matter designer and Rian Hughes is listed as the cover design and logo designer for Dang. Beach Planet. So, okay, that's a lot, of, so yeah. a lot of design action, which it's nice for Beach Planet. It's especially mm. nice uh, to see them uh, credit the logo designer because yeah. that that is always uh, 99% of the time someone different than the, than the core team so designers finally um, getting some credit yeah i mean it's nice it 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 is a big push lately with comic books to credit everybody that actually is involved in making it because it is a team effort it's not just writer and artist Mm -hmm. i see a lot of um chatter on twitter lately especially about um i mean i think it's something that's a little uh odd to get like flustered about but i do see artists getting kind of grumpy when people talk about their favorite books in in terms of only the writer right where they're like this is the guy that writes the book and and my my dissenting opinion is that um i usually talk about the books that i like in in terms of the writer because they're the ones that are actually making the story that i'm following and yes i understand that I understand. I fully understand that a comic book can't happen without a writer and an artist. The artist mm-hmm. has to be there. The artist ha- is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. But the story that I am following is written by the writer. He's the guy that's create creating the characters, creating the plot lines, creating the the that like the essence of the story. And, and I'm not diminishing the contribution of the artist. But when I'm talking about the story, I'm talking about the writer. I will pick up books because they're drawn by an artist that I like, but I follow writers, honestly, yeah. because I am a writer. So, sure. the frig, I like words. Uh, yeah. Like, I tried out, and this is just my opinion. I know people who have differing opinions, but I didn't really like Black Widow comics. I picked it up because it's Phil Noto, and Phil Noto's art is mm-hmm. stunning, mm-hmm. but I was completely underwhelmed by it, so I stopped after two issues. Right. Well, and that's, uh, to me, that I... An artist can the the contribution of an artist can turn me off of a book. Uh, it 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 has happened, yeah. but and then there's to, stuff like Matt Kent, whose writing I love and whose art I hate. So, yeah. which <laughs> it's is really a, tough when he's doing both. Right. It's like I can't I can't read. Um, what's his big book right now? The the one that he's. Um, Mind management? Mind management. I can't read it. I can't. Oh, man, I can only because it has enough design for me to get over his art, <laughs> and yeah. because it's such a cool story. But the, but, but that's God, the thing. I wish it was drawn by someone else. But yeah, that's the thing to me is like I, like I I will continue to read books that have both good writing and good art. I will the writing is the is the deal breaker for me though. Ditto. Like I can read a book that has somewhat mediocre art but has a has a good story and is well written. That's mm-hmm. why I liked. That's why I can read books like um um. Uh, the Midas Flesh. I don't yeah. like the art in the Midas Flesh at all. I think the story is fun. I like the story. I can mm. continue with that. If it's the other way around, though, fantastic fucking art and just awful writing or boring writing, mm. I'm going to dump it like a bad habit. Huh. It's like, I, it's, it's, the writing is the, the cornerstone to yeah. me. Anyway, now that I've ragged on artists uh, a let's, lot, let's, let's talk about uh, McKelvey uh, because I, I really like McKelvey's art. I do too. I think it's fantastic for the subject matter as well. Yeah, it's mm. perfect. Like for it's it it's realistic enough to um, ground you in the modern setting. At the same time, it is very clean and iconic in terms of his line work, which is important when you're depicting a whole bunch of gods. Uh huh. Right, you want them to be depicted as these, like, you know, near perfection. These beings of near perfection. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I'm really impressed with the fact that uh, they are, like, we talk about in in numerous occasions in the past. Every single one of the 
pantheon and all the main characters are so easily identifiable. They are so iconic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it helps that they're also borrowing modern pop stars, but not for everyone necessarily. I didn't really understand the Morgan. The Morgan? I I don't understand the the mythology behind it. So the Morgan is one of... um, Many three-part goddesses that exist in the in, in so the is world. the Morgan and Annie the same? Yes, okay. as That's is there's thought. there's three of them. There's the one the one with the ravens. Mm. Uh, there's the I feel so, like there's a mopey one, and that's all so, in black. And then there's Annie. So all three of them were the same. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't person. get that. I just thought that you know, hey, the Morgan died, and then the the red-haired one came. Oh, up like, I mean, that was just a like douchey bail trick <laughs> with the whole severed head business. Baphomet. Yeah. Baphomet, sorry. Yeah. Um, but they're from the underworld. That is the one thing that I have to say that this book, this book ha- is is well beyond my um, mythology knowledge. Yeah, this one is, oh, yeah. is, is Bob. And so the one thing, the one thing about that that I, that I think is really fun and interesting about this book is that uh, at the very beginning, when they're in the um, behind the scenes or the backstage thing, there is a a blogger woman or a vlogger who is interviewing the the Amaterasu specifically, mm-hmm. and um, Sakmet and Lucifer are both present the uh, for the Agent interview. Scully character, right? And she's the skeptic, of course. So mm-hmm. she's like, yeah. "You guys are just—it's all special effects and tricks, and you're all full of bullshit." Um, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting was how she says. Um, Sorry. And her name is Cassandra, which I think is really interesting just to bring the mythology thing back in. Cassandra being the like prophet in Greek mythology of the future of the gods. So I find it really interesting that the woman named Cassandra is is the Scully and is a journalist who's like following and continues to be a significant character and important in the sort of Lucifer investigations. Yeah, which makes me kind of wonder if she's not a god herself. That would be interesting. That would be an interesting. See, twist. because that's one of the things is, as you notice, they have the twelve circles around, and those are all supposed to be God, and mm-hmm. not all of them are filled in. Not yeah. yet. And uh, one of the things is Inanna. Yes. Okay. Inanna is not. Inanna even, shows up later. He he shows up later, but he's not in this series. Right. He, you know, so there's all a lot of unknown factors. Tara also is. Is that a god? Tara. Uh, goddess. Yes. Okay, because they were talking about Tara, but you never I ever see that. her. I forgot him. And s- and one of the the great things about this is that it's it kind of seems like th- these are all about celebrity, right? And when I was reading this, it, it's really fascinating to go through this whole story because they are instant celebrities, right? And yep. they're, they're able to perform these miracles and they gain a following, and you can kind of see that with Laura following there because she is she is totally smitten by all these gods, right? Mm-hmm. And like the whole time that you can see her inner monologue and it's kind of the whole story is from her viewpoint where she, her inner monologue when she meets Ball is like, uh, oh, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally awesome. Oh yeah. my God, oh my God. Uh, yeah, you're all right. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed yeah. it. <laughs> that was you know, great. Where he kind of understands... He kind of understands that she's just plain like that, and he right. actually makes a comment about that. But it's it's all about. It seems to me that these gods are, are celebrity, mm-hmm. right? And of course. this is what would happen if if gods were form were true, brought to flesh, took, took yeah, form, yeah. In the, took form in whatever. Absolutely. Like because we, that's how we kind of treat our celebrity. I mean, our whole news cycles are taken up by yeah. these people, and they're just mortals. Now imagine if they could perform miracles and, oh and make you come blood. Uh, uh, amazing line. Uh, oh God! Oh God. Uh, got it. Gods and goddesses. Um, so. But, Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's so I'm I'm just saying that if they, if they, um, you're saying if Kanye West could make you come oh blood. Jesus. No, it I was it was just Mike. That's the one thing that stuck to my head with Baphomet <laughs> or no with Morgan and Baphomet when they had that battle. Yeah, yeah. That it's it's so raunchy that I I love it. Um, but I'm just saying they they have this effect over people, but you don't exactly know where it's all going i mean it's amazing spectacle and they're able to do amazing things but like what's the purpose of this and it kind of wraps itself up at the end i mean yes they're trying to figure out um who killed the judge and then later on spoiler who killed lucifer uh and it's all leading to something yeah i gotta say um you know again spoilers uh talking about the end of this particular arc that 
they did a like that is that is that was definitely an oh shit moment oh, for yeah. me. Lucifer, real. Lucifer, like they're literally gathered together and have decided, yes, we're going to go find out what the fuck's going on. And Lucifer walks out the back door, and Anaki snaps her fingers and kills Lucifer, like mm. bl- blows her head up. Yeah. and it's just like that is definitely a what the fuck what the moment. And that, and that's one of the things where it kind of goes into like the backstory of this because these people are around for only two years. They're usually teenagers, and then they're used up, and they're then they're gone, mm-hmm. right? And the one thing, the one constant through all this is Aniki mm-hmm. or Aninki, right? And so you you kind of wonder okay, who is old, who is who is really old, as old as dust, according to Laura. Um, but it makes you wonder, these people are around for only two years, but they rise to such celebrity. How is that possible? Like, how are they, they go from mundane people into having mansions and all this kind of stuff? Well, because they do, they do make a comment, especially in the current run of gods, that they are using powers, right? They're, yes. they're, they're drawing people into their influence, and mm-hmm. that's what's causing their celebrity to rise so quickly. But all, but all the gods show up in one particular area, and they, they all have this one place. And that's, it seems it's like they're of, manifesting, like it, taking over ex- exactly, a person but, that was. But who manifests them? That's the question. Exactly. No, uh, well, I thought Ananki, Ananki did. Ananki does. Yeah. She comes up and she like, okay, you're Lucifer. Yeah. And because they kind of show that. And yeah. the one thing is I realized that when everything was coming around and, and Lucy goes to the Pantheon, all the gods are housed together. They're not they're not separate. They're huh. all in kind of their Olympus, right? Mm-hmm. And who's in the throne for that is Aninki, mm-hmm. right? So it makes me kind of wonder, I mean, it's kind of speculation, is she creating these gods? Well, that's the other thing that I'm kind of curious about. The 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 thing that they don't really address, at least not in this first arc, is when the human body dies after that two years, what happens to the god that was uh, possessing them? Does it, does, is there a place, an other realm, where these gods both come from and go to? Oh, yeah. Um, is there, or do... Or does Ananki get to summon these gods, and then when they die, they're gone? Yeah. Do they get to or, come back later? Are um, they even gods in the first place? Or are they gods in the first place? Or are they just because, something that Ananki is the whole creating reason, and talking about? Yeah, because they're gods. the whole reason why this this whole story happens is because Lucifer's on trial, and she kind of playfully cracks her, or clicks her fingers, and she didn't mean to blow up the judge's head, but somebody blows off the judge's head. And so that's kind of the story, okay, who did it? Who uh-huh. has the motive right. to do this kind of stuff? It's a, it's a procedural for oh, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. intents and purposes. And, and that's the one thing I love about this is that not everything about this story is laid out at the beginning, right? right? We don't have all the 12 gods. You, you know, there's some secret that are, will come in later. We don't, knew, we don't know who blew off the judge's head. We don't exactly know where these people get their powers mm-hmm. and why it's always 90 years. And so there's always that kind of mystery and carrot that keeps you going and want to, want to read, you know, further on through this story. And uh, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I think one of the things that I one of the things I was going to comment on earlier, I was looking for the line, and I wanted to talk about is um, there's a there there is a there's a term in poker called the verbal free roll, and mm-hmm. what that means is um, in in poker if you're uh, what a free roll means is like if you if you put money into a pot and you have um, you have the same hand as another player, but you also have a draw that could potentially make your hand better than theirs. <laughs> you are quote unquote free rolling to that draw, right? Like say you both have ace 10, you both have two pair, but you also have a f- flush draw. You can make a flush and they can't, which makes mm-hmm. your hand a little bit better. A verbal free roll is when somebody, uh, says something that gives them an excuse for how they played their hand. I know it sounds really strange, but it's <laughs> like like you, you know, you put your money in against another player and technically you did the right thing, but they're but you're like, "Oh, you're going to draw out on me. You're, you know, you're you're going to win this hand even though you got your <laughs> What that player is doing is they're excusing the action in their mind, and they're yeah. going, "Oh, well, if they do happen, tell. if they do happen to draw out, well, now that player's like, "Yep, I knew you were going to do it." So it's yeah. it's what's called a verbal free roll. Okay, yeah. And I think that it's also a it's also a writing trick when a writer is um, in the, in like in this case, uh, Kieran Gillen's pulling in a whole ton of different mythologies, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. mixing them together. Um, creating characters based on those mythologies and and frankly in the first run of this book the implementation of those 
of those mythologies isn't exactly all that deep. It's um, no, not necessarily. It's, it's fairly superficial. Yeah. Um, it's, it seems it's more well, like a personality template, right? It's it's interesting, but it's not. There's not a lot of depth to it, and I think Kieran Gillen does his own little verbal free roll when Cassandra says, "Do you know what I see?" kids posturing with a wikipedia summary inter- understanding of myth mm. it's it's a writing trick to to disparage your own uh premise in order to make it seem m- like more than it actually is huh. does that make sense yeah. like I where you're you're you have you've had a character say outright this is a very shallow interpretation of this mythology. And now you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Mm. Because now people can't look at the book and be like, this is a very shallow interpretation of mythology because, because a, a character, character has already done it for you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. I think it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to do it because of the fact that now this is only eight pages into the story. Mm-hmm. And now he's, got a free roll to do whatever the fuck he wants with these characters and be as deep or as shallow as he wants to. Which I think is his purpose. And yeah, exactly. And and I think it's I think that is actually one of the things that it's not something that a lot of people would consciously notice. It's something right. I consciously notice because it's something I've seen done several times and uh, to to different levels of effect. I think in this particular instance it's a fantastic effect because of the fact that y- you get um he can intru- he can like leak depth into it slowly yes. instead of forcing I think that's what's happening right instead of forcing instead of having to take this kind of scholarly look at the mythologies that he's implementing in this book he can just kind of like he can be shallow about it at first throw out a lot of names yeah. force people like me who are not into this mythology to look up the names of those gods and figure out who they are and then slowly over time he can like introduce little uh easter eggs about those about those gods and those mythologies yeah. in order to 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 add layers of depth later on i mean yeah. back me up on this but i feel like this book is really entertaining if you're a huge mythology nerd or if you know nothing about the yeah. gods yeah. either way i knew almost nothing and of course the other you know the other side of that is of course making the kind of um the the kind of uh, the POV character, of course, is human, so that we can identify with That's her. Important. But the the um, the the most important one that she latches onto at first is a god that everyone knows, which is Lucifer. Yeah, Ta-da. right. Oh, yeah. Um, and is is nearly the exact interpretation of Lucifer from the Lucifer comic, only in female form. Yeah, they, um, they're they're basically have the same personality. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I just i I really enjoyed that. I I'm. I'm really enjoying the way that he's um, kind of doing this procedural story and in, and in introducing little nuggets about these gods yeah. as he goes. Yeah. Um, and I know we haven't talked a lot yet about uh, McKelvey's art, but I like Stella. they could not have picked a better. Oh my gosh, they're they're just such a this. lovely creative team. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this is one of my favorite little side notes too. When she's like, she's looking at uh, internet search uh, things on her phone, and it, 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 she, she comes up with one, and she has stopped paying attention to her phone. So her phone says, "Site with no relevance." Blah blah blah. Another site with no relevance. Yet more blah. Am I going to have to go to a second page of search results? Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is true. Uh, and that they did that same kind of thing in in Captain Marvel or, oh, or in yeah. in Miss Marvel. We were talking about that when mm. she was looking at her phone and right. it was all a bunch of but and and speaking of of Miss Marvel, it, I had a, I had a little bit of squee too because uh with this book the main character is biracial, mm-hmm. which I've very I haven't seen at all. I mean, I know there's probably a, another character with a normal old family. Yeah, with a normal <laughs> old family and everything, because you kind of don't tell. I was I was noticing they did a really good job because she has a wig on at first. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit darker, a little bit kind of um, African nose, a little wider. So I was like, what? is it? So, is that the case? And then, and then I noticed when she took the wig off, her hair's a little curlier, and I was like, uh, yeah. that's kind of you know, kind of like my nieces, right? Yeah. And and then when she goes home and sitting with her parents, and she has one black parent and one white parent, yeah. I was like, holy shit! Yeah, I mean, that's I don't one think of I've the, ever seen that before. That is one of the Squeak, fantastic Squeak. things is like she she's a biracial uh, main character, and there are there I think there are f- flat more women in this book than men. Yeah, which is. Um, 
and the it it's awesome like it's it's there's it it never occurs to me to even think about it on a uh, demographics a demographics basis. level at all i'm just like oh yeah it's like you know it seems natural it seems natural and it works just just fine likewise yes. there's a, a whole lot of pantheons and a whole lot of races and one thing that i think was a brilliant move on their part is because the whole the like the way the gods happen is this sort of like instant possession thing it's mm. like the gods don't line up in terms of what kind of human body they possessed with what kind of like culture they come from yeah. Like sometimes yeah. they do. Yeah. Sakmet does look passably Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, Amaterasu is white. Um, Lucifer and Amaterasu being a Japanese goddess. Um, Lucifer, who arguably is originally Middle Eastern, is white. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesus is originally Middle Eastern too, but he's about as white as whitey white. No idea what race Odin is. Yeah. Because Odin's in a okay, suit. okay. So is 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 it Woden or Odin? I don't know what they say in the book. They say Woden. They, they, the say, they Woden. say Woden. Okay. Yeah. Woden. So, so is Woden is Odin, or is Woden uh, a Celtic god of, or it's a Norse Norse god of? No, I, I, I guess have no idea. Invention. Woden is Odin. Woden is Odin. Woden is Odin. Okay. All right. It's just a different way to yes. to spell it. Okay. That's uh, I, I didn't know. I was like, oh, Woden in Valkyries. Okay, he must be Norse. Inanna is black-ish, and also Inanna is prince. Inanna is also male, which is interesting to me that they've and just in the way that like Lucifer is female, Inanna is male. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So it, it in in closing, this book's awesome. Like that's, I mean, super entertaining. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, what the, the Bybrow Burn? No, we're we're doing it now. You're already doing the bees. Huh? We we okay. got to. We we we're running it's out of time bees. here. So. Okay. Um, uh, it, for Bybrow Burn, my bar, it's an it's an auto buy. Like this is uh this was a pleasant surprise for me because when I saw when I saw this book originally, it didn't like it didn't just ca- it didn't capture me. Like I, the design is neat, um, but there was nothing about it that like really caught my interest and I even read the first issue and uh, was kind of like, eh, this is okay. Um, having read the entire first arc now, uh, this is fantastic. This book's fan- fantastic. It is yeah. just fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'm an, I'm an Insta buy and this is one of the few books that I will just do an unqualified buy. If you like comic books, I think you'll like this book. Yep. Buy it. I agree. Fanboy. Joel. Yeah. He's such a fanboy. I would say buy it. I the, the one of the reasons why is because it's it's an interesting page turner. It's one of the few books where I want to read more of the story, you know, and it's not one of those uh superhero stories where oh, okay, yes, there's the villain. He's trying to blow up the world and um okay, they save the world and whatnot. You're actually interested in what's happening with the characters mm-hmm. and whatnot. You know, what new god they're going to come out with or what miracle they're going to come out with also. Yeah. And one more thing I just want to say is I love the idea that most of the time we think of superheroes and we is because they're like gods. You know, you can look yeah. up to them, like, a la Superman, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one is like, well, you know what? Why don't we just fucking make them gods? <laughs> yeah. you know, why, why do they have they to have superpowers? <laughs> yeah. What if they're gods themselves? And um, I don't know why it hasn't been done before. It probably has. But this, this is well executed uh, by it. By it. Yeah. Obviously, I suggested it because I really liked it. And I have bought all of the issues. And I'm going to buy the trade so I can lend it out to people. Yeah, I can't wait yeah. till it comes out in hardcover. I'm definitely getting it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, three buys. It's solid. Um, I this is one of the best books I've read for the show in, in quite a while. Yeah. An amusing bonus to following both Wicked and the Divine and the Sex crim- Criminals is there is a I'll I'll call it a friendly rivalry between Gillen and McKelvey and, and Fraction and Zdarsky. Mostly that they love to give each other shit constantly. It's like it seems like it is 90% in good fun. I don't think they actually hate each other's no, guts. They're, but they they're do, a bunch of frat boys. They, <coughs> they're throwing beer cans at each other. 
they bounce off each other a lot and it's hilarious <laughs> including in uh sex criminals number nine where it's it's backstory on jasmine saint cocaine okay and it's like one of her first like actual porn shoots which is the licked and the divine <laughs> uh, oh, and God. she is i think playing a lucifer like character who's having sex with amaterasu ah. <laughs> hashtag awesome. shots fired <laughs> <laughs> but like if you follow any of their twitter feeds or web presences just like keep your eye out for sex criminals versus waking the divine stuff because it's it's funny it's awesome so i was stupid at the beginning of the episode and i said this was episode 88 so if we're all if you're all confused at to where the hell episode 87 went eh, this is it <laughs> uh episode 88 uh the next episode is going to be our batman the long halloween episode uh, i can yeah. actually read it <laughs> me too i've never read the long halloween and i've heard good things about it um, I've never been a big fan of Tim Sale's art. Yeah. Like he was huge for a while, especially with his Batman runs, and and people thought he was fantastic. I and I remember, gray. yeah, the the Hulk run, the the Marvel colors that they had. I read Gray for Hulk, but yeah, he did. Um, he did. God, what was it that I read that he did? I don't remember. I, I read a few things of his back in the like late '90s, early 2000s that I was just not impressed by. But looking through the Batman Long Halloween stuff, I like. I like it just fine yeah um i think he i think he did some grendel stuff as well um but um yeah so and i can finally read this and get andy off my back but i don't think he'll ever forgive me probably not you borrowed the book for what three years it's three yeah give or take a couple months Uh um uh, so that'll be episode 88 episode 89 will be the massive which i'm really looking forward to because that book is uh the book just ended Um, and I don't know how many of us have read the whole run. I know I have, uh, and I'll probably make some commentary on the stuff that comes after the first arc, but the first arc is what we'll talk about in the, in the show. Uh, episode 90 will be our Lucifer long reads. So, uh, that's going to be all 75 issues Mm -hmm. of the Lucifer book by Mike Carey and, um, all the time. And then episode 91 will be next wave agents of hate. Uh, that's a book that I think doesn't get quite enough exposure or praise it's it's a warren ellis and it's fantastic Mm. um we will be on episode 80 either 88 or 89 probably 88 we will be uh we'll begin talking about what we're going to do for the next 10 episodes but uh as it stands right now those are the next five our next four batman the long halloween the massive lucifer and next wave agents of hate uh we will be coming back to you in two weeks after this um, if you want to be a part of the show, you can always email us at trade secrets at geekerific, geekerific.com. You can hit us up on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash trade secrets podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at trade secrets pod. Um, we're all also on Twitter. I'm a, I'm geek elite. Superfly. And being tweets. Uh, talk to us on Twitter. Send us emails, questions, comments, concerns. Uh, rag on us. Love us. Do whatever you want. We, you, we do read emails on the show, uh, as Scanner51, I'm sure, can can attest to. Uh, we do participate quite a bit in our Facebook group. There's, uh, there's a few good fans talking about uh, comic book stuff on that group. Uh, join us again in two weeks for episode 88. Uh, thank you for coming up, Joel. Oh, oh you're welcome. Thank you for driving over. No problem. I am Luke. This has been episode 87, and we are out. Working harder, making better, doing faster, makes us stronger. All the